All right, so we're back for another cutting room floor, uh, getting to the end of Genesis, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, you know, there've been a few things I've really enjoyed about our time in Genesis. I think one of the things that stood out to me, uh, I'm curious sort of what other people would say, but for me, I think what stood out to me is that, you know, I, I've often thought as I read through Genesis, like, okay, the fall happens in this one chapter, in this one mm -hmm. book, in the entire canon of scripture. Yeah, just Genesis 3. <laughs> and you go back there and you always proof text it, right? But what you start to see as you read Genesis is like the fall happens in Genesis 3 and then it sort of, there's an echo of it. And then with Cain and Abel, mm -hmm. there's another echo when you get to the sons of God in chapter five or six, Genesis, right? There's, yeah. a, there's an echo of it with Noah mm -hmm. after the flood. And he's drunk yeah, in a garden-like setting. Yeah, yeah. There's an echo then with Abraham. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have this sort of sense of like, the fall doesn't limit it to a chapter, but it's this pervasive sense of humans going their own mm -hmm. way repeatedly and breaking down the connection, sure. the trust, the relational connection with For God. For sure, yeah. And that's really, yeah, it's a, it's interesting as you kind of read through Genesis and we've been going through it, this pattern of seeing what you're talking about, yeah. humans going their own way, and it's not just isolated to one you know, major story. It's yeah. kind of this on repeat over and over. Yeah. And what's really cool is that as you we come to the end of the book of Genesis, we kind of read that iconic line last week on Sunday, Genesis 50, verse 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yeah. And a lot of scholars think that that's actually a summary of mm. what God has been doing throughout the entire book, yeah. not just in the Joseph yeah. story. Humans, Humans are repeatedly going their own yes. way, and God is repeatedly trying to redeem. And bring good out of it, yeah. totally. And I think that's what one of the key highlights for me as we've been going through Genesis is thinking about Genesis chapter 12 as this really this huge turning point mm. where God says that through Abraham and his family, he's going to bring blessing yeah. to the world and bring really good. tracing, yeah, bring good, right? Yeah. To bring the shalom, to bring the yeah. blessing, to bring the good that he wants to to bring for his world yeah. and his people. And that storyline kind of really honing in on Abraham and his family, the yeah. blessing that God's going to bring, the covenant promises yeah. he has Through to Abraham, broken people. Through broken people, like exactly yeah. what you were saying, that despite the evil that humans keep doing, yeah. God is committed to his human creatures, his human beings, to work out a plan for good. That's good. So it's it's huge for sure. Yeah. The other thing I've been sort of thinking a lot about as we've been going through Genesis is just even how in Genesis you have this like prefiguring mm. of what is to come in the New Testament. You have this sort of sense of like, okay, there's this anticipation, there's yes. this foreshadowing. And as we actually get to the end of Genesis in chapter 49, I think it is. For sure, yes, yes. You have these like blessings or prayers or prophecies. Yes. And I thought maybe we could unpack one of those today. For sure, for sort sure. Of like, and how it even leans forward to what might be coming. For sure, yes. And so what we're talking about is Genesis chapter 49. It's it's this kind of this long poetic section at the end of the book of Genesis. And just kind of like as a quick... I think for me, a really important side note to all this is that Genesis 49 is, according to a few biblical scholars, John Selhammer in particular, mark that the Torah overall, so the first five books of the Bible, hmm. can be broken up with these really four major poetic sections in the Torah that all have implications towards future hope, in particular in the Messiah to come. Hmm. And so it's a way of kind of seeing how just Genesis through Deuteronomy is designed, where you have these long sequences of narrative and story and prose, okay. often the case, followed by key poetic sections that huh. often have implications and predictive prophecies about the, the coming Messiah, who we know to be so Jesus. Let me just ask a question there. So each of the books you're saying of the Torah has like one of these? 
So not necessarily in particular books. So if you're just kind of looking at it in its own structure, Genesis to Deuteronomy. So you have one at the end. I have it here in the notes too. So you have this big one here in Genesis 49. You have another poetic section after Israel crosses the Red Sea. There's the Song of the Sea, Exodus 16, Miriam. Um, You have a a section in in Deuteronomy 20, or Numbers 22 and 23, when Israel's in the wilderness. Oh, okay. And so there's a key moment there with predictive prophecies. These are all kind of big moments. Big moments. They're all key moments. So you have the blessing of the 12 tribes is that first one in Genesis 49. The crossing of the Red Sea, number two. The wilderness wanderings, number three. And the fourth one is Moses' final speech, his poem, as he's about to die and they're about to go into the promised land. So you have these like major poetic sections that are almost like, uh, providing a bookend to a section, but also pointing forward exactly. to something profound and important. Exactly, yeah. And it's kind of getting us That's to this cool. point where one writer even says, like the the Torah itself, and especially these these five books, what we call the Torah, yeah. is meant for to be read rightly, to look forward in anticipation to who we now see as Jesus yeah. the Messiah to come. So what we're talking about yeah. today is one of is that kind of first key poetic cool. section. So this is the blessing of the 12 tribes. And you wanted to focus, I remember we were talking earlier about sort of one of the blessings in particular. For sure, yeah. So this is like, you know, blessing within a blessing kind of a thing. Maybe a little bit like Inception or or whatnot. But what happens at the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, Jacob, the father of of these 12 sons, he's basically, you know, on a moment where he's about to die. And before he dies, he blesses each of his 12 sons. And there's one particular blessing to a particular son to Judah okay. in the for kind of the early verses of chapter 49 that is really key to kind of understanding kind of how this portrait and how this storyline of God going to bring blessing to the nations mm. and that descendant to come, who that descendant is going to be. We get like more information. If we had this very general promise, say back in the garden, that there would be a snake crusher. Yeah. And then that promise got a little bit narrower or a little more focused with it's going to be through Abraham and his family, mm. in Genesis 12, and gets reiterated to Isaac and then mm-hmm. to Jacob. That focus now becomes even more poignant and more clarified mm. here with so the blessing like this gradual to um, focusing yes. of those promises. So it was like general snake crusher, narrowed down to a family line, narrowed down to one person in that family line of the 12 sons. Exactly. Judah, yes. Okay? And so that's where we find ourselves Interesting. here in Genesis 49. So I thought it actually be good if I just read it's four verses, that's fine. just kind of read it. Um, and then I'll just want to make a few key observations and then kind of land us in the Great. New Testament. Yeah. So this is Genesis 49 starting, well, verse one, is a kind of this general heading where Jacob says, or the writer says, in you know the end of days or in the last days, these things are going to come. And then we get to Judah. He's actually the third son that's blessed. A couple of the sons, his older brothers, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, they don't get this kind of focused promised blessing to their family. They get kind of passed over, and the text goes into some detail as hmm. to why, because of their own past sins. Okay. So this promise of the Messiah is going to come to Judah, starting in verse 8 of Genesis 49, where the text reads, Jacob saying this, the father, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies and your father's sons shall bow down before you. So that's verse eight. Verse nine, Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up or you have arisen or you have come come up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. Verse 10, the scepter or the, the, the kind of a, it's a word for like a, a something that a king or a monarch would hold okay. in their hand. A scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him 
and to him shall be the obedience of all peoples. Now, I'll just kind of pause right there, but that's kind of the main yeah. kind of sort of section where this blessing that is going to be kind of given or is being given to Judah it takes place here in Genesis 49. Now, just want to make a couple kind of key observations about this and how I think this is really getting us to look forward to now a descendant, not just from the family of Abraham in general, mm. but from the line of Judah within the family of Abraham in particular. So kind of the first off in verse one, this whole kind of scenario, this blessing, big picture is kind of framed in the future. Literally, again, our English translations differ here a little bit. The ESV has in days to come. But then if you have like your English Bible in front of you, you should have a little kind of small footnote. Yeah, amendments. Amendment, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. Where you kind of skim down to the bottom and yeah. look at your footnote and it will say literally in the last days or in mm. the last times. So kind of if you, this is, you know, hyperlinking around a little bit, Hebrews chapter one talks about in the former, former days, God spoke in many ways and in many different mm. ways. But in these last days, it's kind of the same phrase yeah. if you were to do the translation from Hebrew to Greek. God has spoken to us through his son. Mm. And so kind of this idea, big picture of when the biblical writers talk about in the last days, yeah. it's not just, you know, sometimes in our popular conception, we think of like Armageddon and <laughs> like the world falling apart. Sure. It's like a biblical way of talking about when the Messiah comes, the messianic age yep. that God's people are now hoping for if okay. you're kind of in this Old Testament time. So that's kind of the time frame yep. of it. But then verse 8, though, is really interesting. Verse 8, we just read it, talked about how, as Jacob's saying this, that your father's sons, yeah. so Jacob's sons, shall bow down before you. Your brothers shall praise you. Which is odd because that's already just happened, right? Except to a different brother. Yeah. So we're in so Genesis 49, right? Yeah. So we're in Genesis 49, kind of again, just zooming out just a tad yeah. from Genesis 37, really up until this point and into the last chapter, chapter 50, we've just read a story about Joseph. Yeah. And he has his brothers at multiple times yeah. bow down before well, him. Well, he has a dream and he's like, exactly. you're going to bow down before me. And then it really happens yes. later on. And yes. now there's this blessing about brothers bowing down. It's like, so what's going on here? Totally. Yeah. So you, 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 you're reading this in context and you know, you're kind of in the original audience, kind of put your, you yeah. know, one writer says, put your ancient Israelite hat on. You're in the, kind of this mode yeah. and you've just read a narrative where brothers have been bowing down to a particular yeah. single brother. And then you have this blessing of now other brothers mm. in that same family bowing down, not to Joseph, but to Judah. And so I think what we're meant to see here is that people argue is that what you just read about brothers bowing down before Joseph and that whole story hmm. is now more or less being transferred to Judah. Wow. And so the expectation, again, that future expectation from verse one of brothers of this family bowing down before this particular brother, Judah, is now something we should be looking forward to as we continue on reading the Hebrew Bible, okay. the Old Testament. So that's so kind of... Point one. Exactly. Point right one there. is you have this sort of future person from the line of Judah that will people will bow down before. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. So then the second one from verse nine, Judah is described as a lion. Now, this one is you know, kind of fairly easy to kind of see if you kind of read on in the New Testament. Yeah. There's multiple points where this is just... Or I think there's like a 90s or early 2000s worship song. Hail, yes. hail, <laughs> Totally. So we yeah. sing about this <laughs> in our worship songs. But the New Testament writers for sure are picking up on this. Yeah. I think of there's one scene in particular in Revelation chapter 5 where John is having this vision of the heavenly throne. Yeah, yeah. And he looks up and he sees the lion from the tribe of Judah, Jesus yeah. himself, who's the one worthy to, in the context, mm. open up the scroll mm -hmm. and, and render right judgment yeah. in, that, in that context. So you have this lion in the sort of 
lineage of Judah. Mm-hmm. And then you have in Revelation this picture of a lion yeah. who is from the lineage of Judah. Totally. And so you have this connection. Connection there. So, yeah. w- you know, whatever John is, is seeing and however John is is kind of interpreting and going through what he's going through yeah. in Revelation, he definitely, I would say, argue, has Genesis 49 wow. on the brain, if okay. you will. And so those two, there's another yeah. connection, connection there. In verse 10, we're told the scepter, which is, I don't know, depending on, you know, one's use of the English language. I don't really use the word scepter all that much, yeah. but it, you know, basically like a really important staff that yeah. a monarch or a king sure. would I have. Sure. I use mine regularly. <laughs> exactly. I forgive so, your ignorance. Yeah. <laughs> a scepter shall not <laughs> depart from Judah, nor a ruler's staff, which might be more familiar language for us. Yeah. And so then it's this idea of the symbol of authority now is given to this, this person from mm. Judah's family. So you're bowing down, you have lion, and now you have the scepter or authority. The symbol of authority that's been given yep. to Judah. Now, this is a, maybe a little bit geeky, so I'll try to, as best I can, be concise here. Okay. But if you were kind of reading Genesis 49, in particular verse 10 in your mm. English Bibles, and you were doing two or three different translations, you'll probably get two or three different translations mm. or renderings of this phrase. And I have it in the notes if someone's really interested, where I have it color-coded, on where I have the three in yellow, green, and red, the three different kind of options mm. that our own English Bibles use. And I think this is important to kind of get at just another layer into how this connects to Jesus mm. himself. So one way verse 10 is rendered is the text will say, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until option one, until tribute comes to him. So that would basically be this idea of until homage or until praise or honor is given to him. So pretty basic there. Mm -hmm. Another option is that that same phrase, and this is all because of kind of how the Hebrew language works. You change one vowel or change one letter, and it's a completely (laughs) different word, even though it looks almost exactly the same. So this is kind of basically what we're dealing with. The second option is that it's actually not tribute until tribute comes, but a proper name until Shiloh comes, Mm. referring to a place. And there's some connections there to the location of Jerusalem before the tabernacle and temple were built. Number three, this kind of, again, all because of the, how Hebrew is kind of weird until the one to whom weird. It's just the vowels are like lines. They're lines and dots and and it's really bizarre. Totally. The third option until the one to whom the, the scepter belongs comes. Now it's kind of clunky when you, transliterate that because yeah. it's it's very like literal yeah, yeah. word for word there so let me say it again until the one to whom it referring the scepter belongs comes mm. so what 49 verse 10 potentially is saying and i kind of lean towards this third option here is that we're waiting for this person to come mm. that whom this scepter truly belongs to is the idea mm. So we will have the idea here, because it's the kind of logic, we will have kings come, rulers come from the line of Judah, but we're really waiting for the ruler Mm. for whom this scepter truly belongs to. So what you have as you kind of continue on in the biblical story is you have rulers, in particular the the kings from the line of David, so Mm -hmm. David's going to fall in this family line, Mm -hmm. are going to come from his family line, and kind of like we were talking about earlier with the book of Genesis, David and his family kind of do the same comedy of errors and have their mm-hmm. own fall moments again yeah. and again. So we're still then, as you read through Samuel and Kings and into Chronicles and so on and so forth, you're still kind of waiting with anticipation. Yeah. We need like a David-like figure from the family of Abraham who will be like David on his best days, yeah. but not have all the blunders and the, and the failings that yeah. David ultimately has in Solomon, so on and so forth. Hmm. So those are just kind of a few kind of key points that I think are kind of fairly important that are kind of tucked away 
in this yeah. poetic section. So maybe just to state the obvious, your pre presupposition is the one who will hold the scepter, the one who is coming is Jesus. Jesus, totally. So yeah. the one who's going to be, people are going to bow down before, mm -hmm. the one who will be the real lion, the one who will hold the scepter, you're saying in Genesis 49 is pointing towards the first century and the coming of the son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Exactly, yes. And so what we're getting at here is that as you kind of read a narrative context, as you kind of go from Genesis 1 kind of all the way forward, this kind of portrait or I kind of use the language of like a mosaic yeah. is getting filled in with more and more clarity as yeah. the storyline progresses. That's awesome. And I think it's also important to say that as we kind of come to the New Testament, what the New Testament writers are not doing is just going of what they're not doing, let me put it like this. They're not hijacking the Old Testament to fit their That's good. sort of kind of preconceived agenda. They're not trying agenda. to like, you know, squish it in. It's like, exactly. this is our theology. Let's cram the Old Testament in. What you're trying to say is, no, actually, like their theology makes sense in light of exactly. the Old Testament. And they're reading their Hebrew Bibles, how Jesus taught them to read on yeah. Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, yeah. that all these stories from the Law of the Prophets and the Writings pointed to him. Yeah. So actually for, the New Testament as a as a complete and whole document is actually shaped by and formed by mm -hmm. people who were saturated in the Old Testament. Exactly. Exactly. And so they were reading their Old Testaments. Yeah. Jesus comes along and obviously things change for yeah. sure and their eyes are opened and you sure, know sure. revelation all that sort of stuff. But I think one of the points that you know we're trying to make here is that the Old Testament, when read as how these Jewish authors would want us to read them, yeah. are pointing forward to messianic hope yeah. found in the person of what now we see as Jesus yeah. of Nazareth. That's powerful. So, yeah. It's powerful. And then, then that, that helps us as we're, right, after Easter, we're going to enter into Exodus. Mm -hmm. And again, now you start to get, you have the book of Genesis, then you have some of the key, key, key uh, stories and commands and all this happening in Exodus. And now the portrait gets filled mm -hmm. in even exactly. more of who this coming king is going to be. Exactly. For sure. It's awesome. It's going to be awesome. Thanks, man. Cool.